Welcome to the Capital Integrative Health Podcast, a podcast dedicated to transforming the consciousness around what it means to be healthy and understanding the root causes of both disease and wellness. I am Dr. Andrew Wong, co-founder of Capital Integrative Health, an integrative practice committed to expanding access to holistic root cause medicine to the global community. We are excited today to have a special guest, Danny Williamson. Danny owns Integrative Family Medicine in Franklin, Tennessee, and focuses on gut and hormone health with her patients. Her approach embodies a physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual process to healing. And her first book, which is called Wild and Well, Danny's Six Common Sense Steps to Radical Healing is now available, and I can tell you it's a great read. Join us for a conversation today with Danny about how her childhood experiences, lifestyle, nutrition, and much more affect her health and what you can do to heal your body, mind, and spirit from the inside out. Well, welcome, Danny, to the podcast. Thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you so much for inviting me. This will be fun. Yes, it will. Have a lot of fun today. And um, just before we got on, we just uh, met your your standard poodle, who's uh, really beautiful. Thank you. Yeah, he's a handful. <laughs> yes. He's a handful. So um, let's talk about some background first. So what kind of made you first interested in integrative health and how did you know that you wanted to become a nurse practitioner? Oh gosh, that's a loaded question. So I actually (laughs) spent the first 22 years of my career, I have a master's degree in fashion design and I was a fit model in New York City. I owned a maternity and children's store in Paducah, Kentucky and um, taught childbirth classes. I was the first doula in Western Kentucky And I thought I was going to do that for the rest of my life. And then in my late thirties, I got divorced and thought, "Uh uh-oh, I've got to do something more than sell breast pumps and nipple cream the rest of my (laughs) life to support these children. So I already was in women's health. I applied to the nurse midwifery program and the family practice, family nurse practitioner program at, at Vanderbilt got accepted at 40. I was the oldest person in my class, graduated school, got a job in a functional medicine clinic. I had a traditional allopathic degree. I had personally spent 24 years seeing doctors, chronic irritable bowel syndrome, four four colonoscopies, lupus, depression, chronic itching, 10 doctors, 24 years. My first job, my second job really, out of nurse practitioner school, a doctor looked at me and said, Danny, what are you eating? Don't you know your diet controls your disease? Do you take digestive enzymes and probiotics? And do you know your food sensitivities? It turned my entire world around 11 years ago. That was my job at uh, Cool Springs Family Medicine. I was, it was a functional medicine clinic. It, it changed the entire trajectory of my life. My patients' lives, I hope my children's lives, my grandchildren's lives, and that's how I got started in it. And I was hired right out of nursing school knew nothing about functional medicine. I was still on food stamps. I had gone through nurse practitioner school, lost everything on food, was on food stamps and medical card and was sick. And I knew nothing. I had no idea that what's at the end of your fork would heal you or kill you. Nobody, four colonoscopies, four gastroenterologists. No one had ever said that to me. So- that started my journey. Right. It's incredible how nutrition is considered, even now in 2021, sometimes certain 
you know, groups in society as, as more of like alternative or, you know, this is, it, it really should be the first line medicine. The first line. And I tell patients this every day. I, I mean, if you believe in the Bible, Daniel, I'm not recreating the wheel over here. Daniel said 2000 years ago, we're not eating that feed me and my warriors. We're not eating the food from the King's palace. He was the original one. Danny Williamson is just, I mean, and probably Hippocrates before, right? All disease begins in the gut. We know that. And so I wasn't taught this in school. And I'm so grateful now that I get to help men and women reverse the decades of chronic lifestyle disease that they're living with, just like I had. Diseases you weren't born with. Yes, ancient civilizations, you know, wise healers, like you mentioned. And so, you know, a lot of a lot of integrative medicine is about kind of returning to our roots, you know. You bet. That's awesome. You bet. Um, and what yes. do you enjoy most about, uh, as an integrative functional practitioner now, you know, what do you enjoy most about, about what you do? Well, I, well, I'll tell you what, the success stories. I love what I do, but yesterday was a good day. So I can say this, you know, smiling was a great day. The last two patients yesterday walked in. One was a young man in his thirties. The other one was a woman probably in her sixties. Both of them are completely different people than they were four months ago. And they both started crying. They both got very emotional over it. And the fact that you get to see people turn around decades of chronic dysfunction, decades of chronic inflammation by helping them control their diet. And, and I mean, to me, I mean, that's where I find joy. That's the most, that's the most fulfilling thing that I do in that office. And I tell people every day, I'm only as good as what you do when you leave here. If you don't follow anything I ask you to do, then, you know, this doesn't work. We, we often say in our clinic too, the patient is the CEO of their own health. And, you know, you taking that responsibility is, is really something that transforms a, a relationship from a, a dictatorship, which is a traditional model to more of a partnership. You bet. And we are a partnership in there. We walk them through it. You know, most people have no idea, just like your clinic. We get the sickest of the sickest oftentimes, and they have never been told, you know, or never been asked, what are you eating? We walk them through it. I mean, they have no idea. They think they're eating clean, but, you know, and I tell them, if you have boxes, bags, cans, tubes, rolls, you know, f products in your kitchen that'll still be there in two months, three months, then that's not food. That's Franken food. And, and they think because they're eating gluten-free or maybe they that they're eating clean, they don't realize really how, um, how poor they are eating. And so it's education. And when you don't know, you don't know. But once you know and you start feeling better, what I see is people will never go back. They don't go back. They may backslide but they never go back to where they were. So I think what you're saying to interpret that is that Kraft mac and cheese is not real food, correct? No, that's correct. That's Franken food, right? And that's what I grew up on. That's what I grew up on. Kraft mac and cheese, frozen, probably 75 cent, Totino's pizzas and chicken pot pies. My mom was a single mom, a lot of it, me growing up. Chicken pot pies for probably were a quarter, I don't know, back then. Then I'm 55. I mean, that is Franken food. That's not real food. It's kind of like this short term benefit of, oh, you're going to save money, go to the market, get some for 75 cents versus these long term effects on both 
you know, our physical health, but also the health of the planet or communities or planet as a whole. That's what Dr. Hyman says in that book, Food Fix, that he published. You bet. Yes, I love him. I listen to his podcast also and yours. And he, uh, that's exactly correct. But again, people don't know. They only know what they know. And baby steps turning these things around because it's overwhelming. You and I have done this for years, but I remember the day that I got my first food sensitivity test back for me. 29 foods were on it. 29 foods, eggs, dairy, gluten, um, I mean, all all kinds of things, all the things I I ate. And, you know, you just say, what in the world am I going to eat? But people don't realize we have hundreds of foods to eat and we only eat about 12 or 13 or 15 foods. So it's just, it's a learning process and um, your body's designed to heal itself. And once you start making that, that ship starts to right ship, man, there's no going back. Totally agree. And I think, um, this is a little bit of a tangent, but but I almost think we could reconceptualize the elimination diet as like a whole foods diet or something like that. So it's more positive and people can understand what they can eat versus what they can't eat. Ooh, I love that. I'm getting ready to redo our elimination diet and stuff. And I love that. It's really not about what you're cutting out. Now, I talk about this when we get food sensitivity back and people freak out because there's a list, you know, 20 foods long. And I say, look at the green list. Look at the list of all the things you can eat. But if you don't call it an elimination, if you call it, that's good. That's good wording right there. And um, yeah, sometimes also, uh, you know, getting CSAs and things and just kind of, I, m- I remember when getting a CSA and it's like I had uh, rhubarb, which I actually hadn't been really eat it or you know didn't know how to cook it so it's like oh how do we eat rhubarb or you know what do i do with kohlrabi or whatnot so it's kind of neat to like look at you know there's a lot of different foods that people can try you know new new things that are well they're not new but they might be new to us because we have tried them that's exactly right i say that all the time how often when you go to the grocery do you buy a turnip or do you buy mustard greens? Or do you go buy an uh, um, uh, artichoke? Which, by the way, I, I've cooked an artichoke once in my life. I have zero desire to ever do it again. I will pay the money to let somebody cook that one at a restaurant. That's ridiculous. But um, And they don't. We go to get the same food week after week after week. I'm a huge proponent of the farmer's market. I actually lead tours here at our local farmer's market in Franklin, Um uh, during the year and and just so people can meet their farmer and know their farmer and when you eat in season man you feel so much better and you get to try new things right this is the season that we're supposed to be eating more root vegetables and heartier foods and you know thicker stews and soups and slowing down we don't eat in season we don't move in season we don't do anything in season we go 90 to nothing 12 months a year and eat the same food over it, and it's over. A, it's so. a novel concept of staying connected to the earth and eating seasonally and locally and all these things. Um, but I do think we should have, Danny and I, we should have a public service announcement here, a public service request, because I also find artichoke very hard to cook. So if any of listeners out there have a, a good recipe for artichoke, uh, please put that in the comments. That'd please, please send it to me because, yeah, that was the most time consuming ordeal that afternoon. I'll never forget it. I was like, oh, this is just dumb. But OK, thank you. I'm glad to know. Yeah, and I, I cooked one. it. And it, it, at the end of the day, there wasn't that much artichoke to eat. It was like too much. Uh, oh, no, it's a lot of work for me. Yes, it's a, yes. Yeah, and, and not much. Yes. 
Well, well, let's go on to your amazing new book, best-selling book out, um, available on different sites like Amazon, etc. Called Wild and Well. I am in the middle of that book. I've finished the the um, the food part with the, you know one of the most important chapters. Kind of skimming through the rest right now. But what was the inspiration for your new book, Wild and Well? Let's start with that. Well, the inspiration was I knew when we started getting a waiting list to move to to see me. I'm a solo practitioner. And I, and I was told by a friend of mine, you need to write a book, Danny. You're going, the only way you're going to be able to help more people is to write a book. And you can only help people one-on-one. So, so I knew that if I wanted to get this message out that healing is not rocket science, that I grew up in complete chaos and had a lot of childhood trauma and a lot of chronic diseases piling up on me, that I needed to write a book. And I needed to break it down into common sense medicine, six steps that people could 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 actually do, whether they were from Gilbertsville, Kentucky, like me living on food stamps, you know, whether they had an eighth grade education or a Harvard graduate school education, that it was common sense. Anyone can heal themselves. So that's that was my inspiration was I needed to get the word out and I wanted to help millions of people. And mm-hmm. I think it's a fantastic book. I really am proud of it. Took two years to get the thing written, but it was 55 years in the making. Um, yeah, I, I really love your book and I'm, I'm, I'm not even done you. reading with it yet, reading it yet, but I think it's already one of my favorite books because it's both practical and personal. You know, it's practical Thank to you. the point where you can actually have the best laid treatment plans, the best functional treatment plans, the best natural medicine treatment plans, integrative treatment plans. But if that's not practical for the person, doesn't take into account all the challenges and obstacles that might happen in their lives, the mindset, all this thing, then it's not really going to be actually executed, you know? So I think it's really important for things to be practical. And then I think the personal aspect in your book, you talked about the 24 years you spent struggling with chronic lifestyle diseases and now you're helping your patients reverse their decades of chronic illness. Um, what was the turning point for you to heal your body from the inside out? I think you did talk about that a little bit with the doctor um, talking about food, but kind of that, that moment, if we could, we could just take a, take, take a deep dive into that. Um, what was that turning point like, like for you? The turning point for, um, for healing your body from or... the inside out. And then I, I, I think, you know, as things started to unfold and you started to heal your body, um, how long did that take you? I guess would be one question. Well, it took a long time. So let me tell you something you actually touched on briefly. I was feeling much better pretty quickly into this, right. When I started eliminating foods and things, but I did not turn the corner a hundred percent and really start reversing everything that was going on with me until I dealt with the trauma and that the childhood trauma for me. And so that was the turning point. And when I went into deep, hardcore therapy, EMDR, lots and lots of therapy for me to deal with the childhood trauma that happened in my life, that's when my body started letting go and healing because you know this, the body keeps score. Yep. And so that, And that's when I first learned about adverse childhood experiences. I wasn't taught that in school. Not one class that I have talked about, you know, your patient may have, you know, this, this, and this going on due to what happened to them before the age of 18. And when I learned about adverse childhood experiences and started incorporating that into my office, I knew that I had to get the word out that 
again, that's the reason the first part of the book is on trauma and addressing that. I, I love that you put that in the beginning of the book before the six steps to healing that you talk about. But like you said, it does begin with healing the trauma and looking at how that affects the hormone system, the immune system, the GI system. You know, all these things are affected by by trauma. Um, and and you know you, you like you said you you, you know, had some trauma as a child falling on hard times putting yourself through in peace school while raising your kids uh, as a single mother how, how do you do how do you do it all and still take time to kind of um, come up with those six steps which we'll talk about in a minute. I don't know. I just do it. I was on a podcast here. So she said, "What in the world? How did you arise from those ashes of?" Of the, of the trauma and then the, the events of my divorce. And I said, you know, I think people just, there's two types probably. You can lay down and die or you can get up and say, you know what, I'm going to do better. I'm going to be better. I'm going to be better than, you know, where I came from. And that was how it has, it's innate. I think it's innate in many people and it was me. And you just keep going. But for many years, for decades, I did not take time. I now build my life around self-care. I don't, I've built a life that includes self-care. I do not have to take time for self-care because I have learned, I have learned to automate, eliminate, and delegate everything I can in my life. And it's on, it's in that de-stress well chapter. AED, yeah, yeah. AED, right? Get it on life support. And I now... I don't do anything. If I didn't want to be on this podcast, I would have said, I can't do that. It's not good for me. And nothing gets on your schedule, does it, Dr. Wong, unless you agree to it. Correct. That's so right? true. So, yes. And so I really, for many years, I destroyed my adrenals. Thank goodness my thyroid works great. I do not have a thyroid issue, but my cortisol levels were through the roof. I never had adrenal um fatigue, but I was on fire a hundred, hundred percent of the time. And I never knew that you were allowed to build self-care into your life. You were allowed to set boundaries. I have a very stressful mother. We never got along, ever got along ever in the history of my life. And since the day I was born, yeah, honestly, six weeks into my life, she had postpartum psychosis and was institutionalized and then tried to kill die by suicide, just like her father did. So I grew up in real chaos there. And um, I, I, I learned that I could set boundaries with my mom. Yeah, that's so huge. Being able to set, set boundaries is huge. Right. And now that she has Alzheimer's disease and I am an only child and my mom is an only child, guess who her caregiver is? Me. Yeah. I'm the only one two and a half hours away, heading there. The second we finish this, I'm heading there. Wow. But I have still learned to set my boundaries. I can't change it. I can't reverse her. So that's how I think I, you know, I think I'm a survivor by heart. I am a survivor. And some of us, all of us are. Now, not everyone unleashes that warrior spirit in them, but we all are survivors or we wouldn't be here. Out of how many million or billion sperm, I mean, right? And right. At one egg, I mean, we are the winners. We won that We are race by default the survivors, right? 
Um, you bet and, we are. And I think I think we can we can talk about that now since we're getting into ACEs. You talk about this and how how to um you talked about adverse childhood experiences. Um, if you could just give us some examples of what are ACEs and how do they impact our long term health? Because I think it's important for the listeners to know how significant this really is. Well, adverse childhood experiences actually came about in the late 90s with Dr. Folletti, who had a, um, he had a weight loss clinic in San Diego, California. And, and the history on that, you can read online. That's, that's, there's a long history on it. To make it very short, he asked a, a patient one day who had dropped out of the program, he misspoke and he said, how much did you weigh when you first had sex? And she said, 40 pounds. And he said, I'm sorry, I, I, I meant, I'm sorry, what? And she said, 40 pounds. And he said, no, I meant to say, how old were you when you first had sex? And she said, four years old. It was my father. That was the first aha moment for him because these women and men were losing hundreds of pounds and dropping out of the program. They ended up calling in something like 268 people that had dropped out of the program. Come to find out about 80% of those dropouts of the program had childhood trauma. Well, we didn't have an adverse questionnaire at that point. They couldn't believe it. They could not believe that they had this much trauma. These people did. And this was a white upper middle class to upper class um, um, population. This was not a black or a brown or a lower class. I mean, this was, and, and these were college educated people. So fast forward, he and the CDC, as many people know, maybe listening to this, they ended up with this questionnaire, the Adverse Childhood Experience Questionnaire, which are 10 questions, emotional, physical, um, abuse, you know, 10 questions. What happened to you before the age of 18? Did a parent go to prison? Were you sexually assaulted or raped? Were your parents divorced? Was anybody an alcoholic? Was anybody mentally ill? Did you feel uncared for? Were you physically hurt? And out of 17,000 people that ended up being interviewed and surveyed for this, you know, 60 to 75% of the population have at least one adverse childhood experience. That's and if huge. you have one, you have about a 70% chance, I think it is, right, to have a second one. The higher the score, the sooner your your the the the, the shorter your lifespan. I have an adverse childhood experience score of six. So, so there's ACEs, right? There's ACEs, but um, and thank you for sharing all that. I think there's ACEs. There's also trauma as adults. There's there's medical trauma. There's trauma from chronic illnesses and things like that. You too. bet, you bet, you bet. So we have to address all of that. And ACEs just hit 18, you know, 18 and below, which the American Pediatric Association says this is the number one greatest public health crisis we have out there is missing this. I wasn't taught about ACEs. A lot of people, you know, that are listening to this that are above the age of 18, let's say they, they may not all be aware of how great an impact ACEs have on our health chronically. So you're exactly long you're right. So, because again, so, the body keeps score. the body keeps the score. Exactly. Thank you so much for sharing that. So, so ACEs are one thing and dealing with trauma overall is one pillar. And then of course, the other pillar is really the self care that you talked about so brilliantly, brilliantly in your book. And I think the big thing that uh, kind of I've gotten from that and also from 
uh, this interview so far too is that you know it's really about like you said automating that kind of making the self-care your default mode as opposed to something yes. that's going to be number five or number six on your list after you've taken care of all these other things that's right um, create a life that you do not have to escape from create a life that you do not have to escape i love that peaks and valleys right we do sure i mean there's i mean sometimes we have seasons in our life that i mean you can't create a life you can't escape from like all hex breaking loose in your life but overall create a life you do not need to escape from and that means if you need to change your job right if you need to change your partner or get out of an abusive relationship or i mean they're or cut the soul suckers out of your life Nobody says you have to keep those people in your life. And these are not mean things. These are self-care. This is putting your oxygen mask on first because you have the right to be 150%. There's a reason you put your oxygen mask on first if the plane's going down. It's not to save the, you know, row 18 back there. It's because you're worthy to be 100%. But the beauty of it is when, when Andrew Wong is 100, 150%, so's everyone else it's a trickle down effect and as women for sure um we don't put ourselves first we don't and then we're angry about it and and this is probably for a lot of reasons but but society you know culture there's messages and things probably messages that are not even conscious i think a lot of times you're right i believe that yes so I think it's real important. And it's the fifth step for me, you know, in, in healing, although it probably should be the first, because if the stress levels through the roof, you're not going to eat well or sleep well or move well or poop well. I mean, you know, everything falls apart when your stress levels through the roof. Yeah, let, let's get into the six steps of healing, the kind of the, the meat of the book, so to speak, um, um, that you use in your practice and you detail in your book, Wild and Well. Um, so you talk about six steps to healing. Um, eat well, sleep well, move well, poop well, de-stress well, and commune well. And um, maybe you could get a little bit of, um, you know, overview of that. We can get it, go deep dive into some of those. Um, how do you recommend that people incorporate these steps into their lives in a practical way? Well, most people can't do all that all at the same time, but we can certainly work towards it. Eating well for me is the first step because it's the first thing we, we can go without, you know, doing drugs or we don't need drugs or smoking or alcohol to survive, but you have to eat to survive and what you're eating will heal you or kill you. So I start there. Your diet is key. It is key. And it's the hardest thing to change because we're so emotionally connected to food. We eat the same foods over and over as we've discussed so it's the biggest part of the chapter and it breaks down the top seven inflammatory foods, how to, you know, incorporate cleaner food into your diet. The hardest part for eating well that I find with people, and it was with me, if you're not single, like I'm a single mom now, my kids are grown, but if you have a spouse or children in there who are not on board, extremely difficult if you don't have backup or support you see this right in practice Absolutely. you can have all the nutritionists and the health coaches you want but if they get home and the entire family is screaming and yelling that you know they want their whatever for dinner right yeah it's, it's not they're not going to be able to do it so yeah. so the, the eat well chapter to me is the most important and it, it is clearly the key and if you can't do it all at once start with eating well and if you can't cut out gluten, dairy, sugar, then cut one of those out. Just start. 
sleep well. Sleep, your body heals when you sleep. If you can't sleep, you will never eat well and you're not going to exercise and you're not going to poop. And um, your body heals when you sleep. And I, the entire sleep well chapter talks about making your bedroom a sanctuary. Like I can't get away from these lights. You can't get away from the lights, the computer, all the electromagnetic fields and all that. If your bedroom is loaded with computers and TVs and routers and phones, junk, cluttered up. I mean, your bedroom needs to be a sanctuary and electromagnetic, the bed is for sleep and sex only, Andrew Wong. And if you're not doing one or the other in it, get out of it. It's as simple as that. Do, and do you ever use those earthing mats uh, to ground yourself at, at night, like in the bed and all that? Yeah, I have a lot of patients that do that. I don't have one, but they say they work beautifully. I'm going to check that out. Great. Praise God. That's one of the things that I I don't, I don't know enough about earthing mats, but I do know quite a bit about electromagnetic fields and they will disrupt your circadian rhythm all night long. And people sleep with their phones right under their pillow, especially teenagers or right beside their body. Distance is your friend with, with electromagnetic. Right. Turn it on airplane mode. I think it's at least three feet away is, is good, but but ideally get it out of the room. One of my friends is electrical engineer and she only deals with EMF. She says six feet, six feet. Okay. Six feet away. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. sense. And you know, that's interesting because people with CPAPs think about that. They've got that charging all night long. Mm. Now they're breathing and it's saving their life, Yeah. but they've also, so she recommends a, a, a extension cord out and all of that. And electric beds. Think about sleep number beds. You're sleeping on top of a of a minefield. So, so Plug going in. to the, um, I, I want to uh, touch back real quick on on the nutrition and eating well. In, in the book, you detail these. Uh, I think it's called Sinister Seven. Is that right? I, I love that. Uh, <laughs> I yeah. love that uh, that grouping. Yeah. Um, but but these are foods that that you know in theory can be very inflammatory for a lot of people. Um, uh, I think it was uh, gluten, uh, dairy, sugar, uh, soy, let's see, eggs, and then there were two more. Corn and peanuts. Corn and peanuts. Oh, thank you. Thank you. So Those a lot the of the things that are seven. commonly found in, in, in the standard American diet, right? Everything. The everything. That's what I said. That's the first thing my patient says, Denny, what am I going to eat? I eat gluten, dairy, sugar every day, eggs, soy is in everything processed. If you don't think it is, look at your packages. Soy of some sort is in everything. And soy's not horrible, right? If soy were horrible, then the Asians, the Southeast Asia, all, I mean, they would all be sick or breast cancer. It's not the soy, it's the way the soy is. They're eating whole food soy. That's exactly correct. Um, What what, what are the major nutrition recs that you're giving to people in terms of besides eliminating those sinister seven, which... Which are your top foods? And I, it might be different for different people, but what kind of recommendations do you typically give to people to help for healing? Well, I'm a fan of a whole food, one ingredient diet, whatever that is you're eating, a Mediterranean lifestyle. I'm a fan of a Mediterranean lifestyle. I know that that's the lifestyle that the bulk of the world. And, and that, that's, a, that's such a huge point you just made because we always talk about different diets, like there's an elimination diet or paleo diet or Mediterranean diet, but it really should be a lifestyle, really. It is a lifestyle. Right, because if, you're, if someone be. is stressed and they haven't dealt with the trauma and they're eating a Mediterranean diet, but everything else is not Mediterranean, then it doesn't really help. Exactly. So fresh, more vegetables and you can shake a stick at and all the different colors, right? And in season fruit, lean fish, nuts, seeds, fruits, vegetables, pork, lamb, turkey. You can eat anything, anything.
thing. One ingredient, God made food. That's what I tell people. And they're like, what in the world? But that means you have to cook. Cooking is self-care. I'm just telling you, you cannot be healthy and live a long, productive life if if you're getting your food out of someone's drive-through window. You, you know, when when I'm cooking, I feel that too. I, I feel like, oh, I'm I'm actually taking care of myself. You know, I I, I feel that internally. Yes, I do too. And you 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 can't help but feel that way. There's a reason your drive-through food, your favorite chicken restaurant, right? Your favorite hamburger restaurant. There's a reason it tastes the same in Bethesda, Maryland, as it does in Nashville, Tennessee. It was made in a chemistry lab and you and your children are the chemistry lab rats. You are the lab. We, rat. we are the experiment. Yes. The yeah. And, um, and what I, what I realized after looking at some of those ingredients, I mean, there, it is pretty scary. It's like, Oh, this is Franken food. You know, it, it looks like food, but it's not. No, it's not no. food at all. It's no, not food. You're, you're and if it, it. If, yeah. And it would probably sit there in its wrapper for six months and still not go bad and not grow mold or anything. That's pretty sad. Right. Like, I think there was that, what was that movie called where they, they had the, um, you know, the McDonald's French fries and then it just didn't decay for like years, basically. That's right. Yeah. I have a friend who's had a McDonald's burger for 14 years. She's a, she's a trainer in town and nutrition gal. 14 years. Her house just burned two months ago, but the burger did not burn. Um, this is the funniest thing. She just shared it on Instagram and it was her McDonald's burger in the original wrapper 14 years ago. The burger is still the, but nothing has decayed. Wow. That 14 is years. Incredible. I'm not ragging on McDonald's. So don't send me nasty letters, but it's a fact. It's a fact. And you can look that up and you, and so, yeah. so again, it's not food. It's not food. All right. So, so you're starting with diet and healing food. the gut. And then, and then what are your, what are some of your sleep tips that you would, you would recommend for people in general, uh, besides like making the bedroom a sanctuary and avoiding EMFs, any other uh, tips you'd recommend? Cause I, I think sleep is such an epidemic now. Uh, insomnia, I mean, is such an epidemic. You bet. Have a nighttime routine, you know, start winding down, but here's something that I want people to know, you know, take magnesium. If you need it, melatonin, if you need it, there's nothing wrong with that sleepy time tea, take an Epsom salt bath, things like that. Keep the room cold. I'm much better with a cold room and lots of covers, but I learned when I was researching the sleep chapter about first and second sleep. And if you haven't read that chapter yet, you'll see we, the, we used to, hundreds and hundreds of years ago, go to bed at dusk, wake up about five, four or five hours later, have sex, read the Bible, sew something, cook something, whatever, fix the fire, and then go back to sleep and sleep until daylight or when we woke up. That was called first and second sleep. Well, after the turn of the century, those references in medical literature started going away. Well, when we started with an industrial revolution and things like that, um, we and that's when references of insomnia in the medical literature started to pop up. We, I'm guilty, and I apologize to all my patients in that book that of telling people they needed to sleep through the night. No, you don't. You don't have to sleep through the night. Give yourself some grace. If you're one of those people who wakes up at two or three and you can't go back to sleep, that's okay. Now, if you have to get up at four a.m. and get ready for work, that's a little bit of an issue, but. If you don't, then give yourself some grace. Do something quiet. 
maybe some yoga, maybe, you know, some meditation, pray, whatever, and then go back to sleep. We put so much pressure on ourselves to sleep all night. We don't have to. Dr. Taroni Lodog, if you know her, she's a medical yes. doc and she's great. She's the one who first taught me about it. And then I forgot about it until I was researching this. She gets up most every night, has some tea, reads, and she says, it's not how long you sleep consecutively. It's how you feel in the morning. I totally agree with that. And I'm glad you're deconstructing that myth because that does seem to be a pervasive myth, even among integrative practitioners, I would say. Yes. So yeah. that was my big aha writing the sleep chapter was, whoa, whoa, I've done it all wrong with people. I haven't helped these women and men. Do, now, now do you believe better. that, I, uh, sorry, do you believe that um, one hour of sleep before midnight is worth two hours? Like this whole idea of early to bed, early to rise? I do. I do. But now I go to bed with the chickens and I'm up at 4.30, whatever. And I, and I think a morning routine and an evening routine are very important. I yeah. do. And it doesn't matter. You can do anything. There's no right or wrong. It's what's worked best for you. Now, what it, I say there's no right or wrong. I think you should stay off your electronics. Yeah. I think for sure. And, and I don't think you need to do that first thing in the morning either. Be on your phone before you get out of bed. How many people do that? I mean, man-made light, right. Man-made light, artificial light. That's really not how we were created to, if people are up at two or 3 a.m. after five, six hours of sleep, there, there might be a fire light or something. It might be moonlight, but it's not like there's like bright light where, you know, that we have. And do you know something I really work hard on is grounding and earthing. And that's all in the book as well. Um, getting your feet to the earth and your face to the sky, your face to the sun in the morning and in the evening. And I talk about forest bathing in there as well. But I, that poodle that's sitting right below me here, he doesn't have anxiety. Um, most animals, most horses, most cows, pigs, dogs, cats do not have anxiety or depression unless they've got real neurotic owners. And some do and they feed off of that. They don't wear shoes. They're out on that grass. They've got their feet to the earth, their face to the sun. And I am telling you, the, the sky and the sun is set up to the, a good morning sets you up for a good evening and a good evening sets you up for a good morning. So it's a big piece of my, my um, daily ritual yep. is as often as I can. I'm out in the morning. I'm out in the evening barefoot. So circadian rhythm, shed the shoes and get out on the uh, soil sun and sky it sounds like yeah that's that's amazing you bet there's a reason people live longer at the ocean the salt the sun the sea the sand the sky and they're barefoot yeah i mean yes it makes a lot of sense and you know these that. are things that are cheap there's things we can all do right we can all we can all common do this sense common practical sense. Medicine. <laughs> um, yes, practical common sense medicine. Love it. Let's go on to moving well. Um, what do you What do you mean by moving well? And and I love I love movement. You know, versus exercise. But um, yes. yeah. What is moving well? I think people's cortisol levels go up when you say move or what are you doing for exercise. So I try to reword it and say, what are you doing to move your body? I don't care what you do. Your body is designed to move. I don't care if your favorite thing is hula hooping. I've got a hula hoop sitting right in there and my on, hanging on the door. I love to hula hoop. It's great exercise. It's a great it idea. It rollerblading. It may be skating. I don't care. Just move your body. Move your body. 
can't afford a gym, that's no big deal. You know, Jack LaLanne, and I have a whole section on him in the movement chapter. He did not like to move. He did not, but he made his whole career off of movement, right? Basic stuff, jumping jacks, sit-ups and push-ups, I think. And he said he, he always exercised before breakfast because that was his rule. He could not eat until he moved his body. I think that's pretty cool. But our bodies are designed to move. And, and I walk. think this whole idea of, of, you know, sitting is the new smoking. So now everyone's standing and doing standing desks. But there's people are still not moving if they're standing, you know, exactly in a stationary right. way. Good friend of mine is a brilliant chiropractor. And he says, when you stop moving, you stop moving. I mean, it's as simple as that. You don't, you don't poop if you don't move either. You just stop moving, period. And we're, again, we are not designed to get creaky and cracky and, and joint pain and all that as we get older. Your body's designed to move. Move it. Um, it's, I mean, it's as simple and as complicated as that. And when I'm in, the, when I'm in uh, Costco shopping or wherever and I pick up those big old things, a laundry detergent, I do every, I mean, I'm sure people think I've lost my mind. And if I'm carrying my groceries, I'm doing arm lifts, you know, out to the car. Every chance you get, move your body. There, there's a big difference, You're I think, between shopping. I, I've noticed a big difference between shopping at the grocery store um, and not having a cart and just like carrying the bags around. It's it's weightlifting, yes. you know, when you do that. You bet it is. Yes, if you'll carry your own bag in there, and you, that's right. I used to embarrass my kids. I would be, you know, I'd be lifting everything and doing. Yeah. So you just need to move your body. Our bodies are designed to move. And the and, more you and I move, think there's, the, I think a lot of people um, may be making the, what is the, the phrase? Um, you know, we, we don't want to let perfect be the enemy of the good. So this idea of like, we have to move, you know, exercise, exercise, quote unquote, you know, 30 to 60 minutes a day, five days a week and uh, dress up in these fancy gym clothes and stuff, right? It's it's really about movement, and and that may be dependent on people's you know health conditions like arthritis or their conditioning level and things like that. Kind of start small. Would you say would be helpful? It's exactly right. Start small. Do what you can. Do a little bit more today or tomorrow. Maybe or, or maybe maybe get a exhausted. maybe get a poodle maybe get a poodle is a good a good way to to start oh moving. Oh my gosh, yes, and I'm pretty <laughs> active, but boy, I'm more active now because that dog will <laughs> go. I had an English bulldog before the poodle. Not recommended if you want to move your body because English bulldogs do not move. So twelve years, he just would not move. I've never this met a dog that gone. didn't like to move, but I guess English bulldogs are the ones. No bulldogs don't look at them. Okay. They do two things: snort and fart, snort and fart. That's all they do. But uh, moving, what I was going to say about moving, if you feel worse after your exercise class, if you feel worse, if you may feel better, endorphins may be going, but you have to go home and lay down on the couch or get in the bed, then you've got the wrong exercise. I mean, if and you say that to a CrossFitter, they get so mad, they get fighting mad. Like, I mean, they are like, and there's nothing wrong with CrossFit, but it may be too much exercise for you right now. Your adrenals may not be you know, ready for that because you've had all this stress. So, you know, you need something gentler or maybe if you don't feel anything, then maybe you need to kick it up a little bit. Maybe you're not doing enough. Yeah. So, so don't go from couch to CrossFit, but also don't compete with other people either. It's, it's really your own self care we're talking about. Right. Right. That's exactly right. This is about you. You'll sleep better when you move better and people who are more active and people who, who move their body, 
also eat better. The they eat better. Shows. They're less, so less it, stressed. They're happier. They live longer. There's so many reasons. It's all connected. And then they poop better. And let's let's that's a perfect segue into one of our favorite topics <laughs> is uh, pooping. So yes. <laughs> um, what's your secrets that you want to kind of just uh, preview for people? I, I think I really recommend people get your book uh, Wild and Well. Uh, what's your kind of kind of go tos for pooping well overall that you would just kind of outline here? Well, all the things that I just talked about, but also drinking enough water. I think most people have no idea how chronically dehydrated they are. People say, oh yeah, I drink a lot of water. I drink about four of those bottles of water a day. Oh really? Well, measure it, get a glass jug. I'm 130 pounds. So I have a 64 ounce glass jug, but I have to have more because I like coffee and I also get in my sauna. So I sweat half your body weight in ounces. I think that's a big one, a cheap one that you can really improve on and when you are truly hydrated most likely you're going to poop better now not not always and i think a good probiotic um helps beautifully and you can't just go buy any old probiotic you need to know what you're looking for what you're getting and we talk about that in there and then also decreasing stress when stress does one of two things to people it clamps them down and they don't poop or like me you could just poop like a goose. I mean, I'm the total opposite. So um, <laughs> I get just chronic diarrhea with yeah. if I'm under a kind of that irritable bowel picture when people are stressed. Oh, absolutely. So, but a lot of people don't. So movement, enough water, maybe some magnesium. The majority of us need magnesium, a good magnesium in this in this world. And e- I'm even people that are outside. vegetarian and eating a lot of vegetables, green leafy vegetables, the idea is that the soil is depleted of magnesium from industrial farming. Correct? You bet. Yes, it is. That's the that's the um, that's the premise behind that. So I think a little bit of magnesium. Also, a squatty potty. Squatty potty. I'm a yes. fan of a squatty Classic. potty. And you don't have to have a squatty potty. If you don't have $30 or whatever they cost, I don't know, put your feet on the trash can, put your feet on your poodle over there. They'd be uh, still long enough, whatever. Get your feet up. It makes the big difference. It's huge. Yeah. I think having a bowel movement every day, ideally is, is really one of the best predictors of health. I would say, cause you're, you're actually detoxing. You're, you're not, you know, you're moving your gut uh, detoxing so that you can a take in more food later, but you're also kind of eliminating all those toxins that your body's worked really hard to get down to the colon. That's exactly right. It's one big tube from the mouth to the anus. It's fascinating to me how it goes from that banana in there to actually pooping out poop, uh, you know, preferably that by sure the next day, I think what you eat today should be gone tomorrow. And if your doctor tells you it's fine to only poop to twice a week or three times a week, they are wrong. They are wrong. You are chronically constipated and think of all the toxins you're reabsorbing in your body. And so, but again, uh, hydrate your body, move your body, yoga for twist, yoga twists, twists will help you eliminate when you twist during yoga, you can okay. Google yoga, fine. yoga twist. for constipation Okay, works beautifully. Nice. And let's talk about stress since that does affect pooping, of course, and many other things. Um, what, it, what do you mean by de-stress well? I mean, 
turn the phone off, set your boundaries, the things we talked about briefly, right? Um, Don't take your work home if if possible. Uh, Meal prep, all the things that create stress in your life. And that's different for everyone. Everyone's got different stressors. Uh, Start taking inventory of that and start checking those off, figuring out what is it you can do? What can you automate, eliminate, and delegate out of your life? Automate everything you can, your bills, your groceries. Now, for me, I love going to the grocery. It's not a stressor for me. But if I had four little children and my husband worked all the time and I had to take those kids to the grocery, no way in heck would that be uh, a de-stressing environment for me, right? So automate that. I personally don't want somebody picking out my tomatoes, but... Again, it may be worth it to you. So automate everything you can, your bill, everything. Eliminate everything else in your life, right? That's not necessary. You don't have to be the room mom. Who cares? You know, Ella's going to go to fourth grade, whether you are the room mom or not, stressing yourself out. Set your boundaries on that. Eliminate everything you can and delegate everything else. You may not be good at some things that you really enjoy doing. Even if you enjoy doing it, you may be wasting your time and you're not good at it. Let somebody else do that. If you've got the money, let somebody clean your house, right? Or do your mow your yard. Whatever it is you can cut out to give yourself some more margin. We have no margin in our lives. And therefore, you can't heal your body if you have no margin. There's no room for error, right? If one little thing goes sideways, all heck breaks loose. We need margin. I've built margin in my life, but it took me 50 plus years to figure that out. Yeah. So again, thank you. Thank you, Danny, for those words of wisdom. AED, so automate, delegate, eliminate. And I think this is a bit of a loaded follow-up question, but how much time do you recommend in general for people? And, and there could be some variation of this based on the amount of time they may have. But again, it's about prioritizing. How much time per day would you recommend to people in general to spend on self-care? Well, again, I think it's different. I think that is a loaded question. But, you know, from I, I don't know a specific number because, again, some people, their exercise is their self-care. And maybe that's 30 minutes. Maybe it's an hour. I don't know. Maybe it's that 20 minute Epsom salt bath that they take and they don't even look at it as self-care. I think that's different. And I I don't know that exact answer. I think it's whatever works for you. And I also think it changes with your season that that you're in. For Mm -hmm. me, heck, I can have a lot more self-care because I'm grown. I mean, my kids are grown. I don't have little children around there. So I think that's different. And I think each, each person has to figure out how they can build that in, that self-care. And if they're married, having a real hard conversation with your spouse about this, I think is real important. Real right. important. Thank you so much. And then um, and then the, the sixth step or the number six step, which I think is often, you know, we can consider that even one of the most important for sure is commune well. What do you mean by commune yes. well? And um, how does that um, affect healing? Oh my goodness. Community is where it's at, right? You have a great community on your Facebook group, a great community with your podcast. People thrive in community. You heal in community. Um, you, when you laugh with your friends, eyeball to eyeball, your cortisol levels go down, your immune system goes up. 
when you, we are not meant to live in isolation, social isolation, horrible idea. I mean, again, protective for what we've been through. So I understand, but we now have a mental health pandemic on our hands that, that is worldwide from being isolated. We were not designed to be in isolation. So people heal when they have community. And it may mean you being the one who cultivates your community. For me, it's me. I am the one out of my all my people, my family, my friends. I'm the cultivator. I'm the one who started the neighborhood cookout during the pandemic. And we all started way far apart. Like, I'm so loud. You could hear me without, you know, a microphone anywhere. So, but we all started way far apart. And then our circle got tighter and tighter and tighter through last summer, through the end where we finally were all in a big circle and all, but it's me. And when I don't do that, guess what? It doesn't happen, but, but it's worth it. It's worth it to be the one because how you feel when you come away from being with your family, your friends, your tribe, nothing can replace that. You will eat better. You will sleep better. You will move better. You will de-stress better and poop better when you've got your community. I'm a believer. And so I do believe that Jesus believed in community. Um, well, I know he did. And he had community around him, man. He had those 12 people that were just like us. And then he had an inner circle inside of that one that was even, even lifted him up more. So again, I think people heal when they have community. It is my sixth step, but it doesn't mean it's the last step, right? It may be the first step. If you have a good community, they may be people who like to eat well, and they're going to help you on your journey as well. But I again, agree. right? I it agree. all works yeah. together. I think community is can be often considered the first step. Well, thank you so much, Danny, for coming on today. It's been a pleasure. It's been so fun chatting with you and seeing your poodle, of course, on this <laughs> podcast today. Um, how can listeners learn more about you and work with you? dannywilliamson.com. My website has everything on it and new patient paperwork. Everything's on there, but I have so much free content online, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, all the same Danny Williamson wellness. I put out free content every day, just like you do just lots of great information. Um, and again, I think when you've been given much, you have to give back much. And people who do what you and I do, we love it so much. We just want to share it with everyone. So I have an online course on the website called Inflammation is the Devil. Okay. Simple as that. Yeah. And Easy it's to remember 29 that. bucks. We lowered it during this book launch. It's just an inexpensive course now. And it's a great course. So lots of different ways to connect with us. The book is available everywhere you buy books, Barnes and Noble, I would love it. You buy from there because apparently that helps with trying to get it in the bookstores, okay, okay. but it's, it's a great book. It's doing well. And I just appreciate all your support and everything that you're doing in your community. It Thank takes so a village, much. doesn't it? It, to, de it definitely does. Uh, we're all in this boat together here and uh, check out Danny Williamson's book, Wild and Well. It's an amazing book. I think it's going to be really life-changing for a lot of people, even people that are not in your clinic, you know, Danny, people that are kind of either on your wait list or kind of wondering what practical tips can I take right now to help my health. So please check that out on, like you said, Barnes & Noble or Amazon, et cetera, called Wild and Well. 
And thank you so much for taking the time to listen to us today. If you enjoyed this conversation, please take a moment to leave us a review. It helps our podcast to reach more listeners. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss our next conversations. And thank you, Danny, for being with us today. And hope you have a nice Thanksgiving. Thank you so much. You as well.